Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. I think I have told you the story before when uh, several years ago, uh, the diocese sent me to a youth retreat uh, in Ontario. And I hated it. It was awful. And it was for youth leaders, and it was about this uh, all, you know, um, coming together and how do we be Christians in our world today and da-da-da-da-da. And yet Jesus was hardly ever mentioned. And it was so focused just on being, you know, doing social justice. Not that that's not important. It's very important. But baseless. It wasn't based on any reason. It wasn't based on kingdom or anything like that. And I was acting like a spoiled brat arms crossed in the corner, you know, snide remarks to the person next to me. And uh, there's a pastor out in Kent County, his name is Chris, and he's a friend of mine, and he became a friend of mine after he said this. Paul, is Christ preeminent or not? And I said, of course he is. And he said, then act like it. And that was something that really shook me out of myself and I remembered that God is really good and God is in charge and I can have confidence in that. One of the things that I loved about being an Anglican was the middle way. It was having Jesus in the center. And because Jesus was the common goal for all of us, it didn't matter if you were Anglo-Catholic and thought that the Eucharist was literally the body and blood of Jesus. It didn't matter if you spoke in tongues or not. It didn't matter if you were, you know, conservative or liberal. Because Jesus was our common goal. And because Jesus was our common goal, no matter where we started from, we were heading closer together and closer to Jesus. Sadly, this hasn't been the case for the Anglican Church in the past few decades. Instead, we wanted to be right more than we wanted to be united for Jesus. And I don't want to come off as critical, but I think we've lost something. But the good news is every Christian body can observe the, the middle way. We need to observe the middle way of having Jesus in the middle and commonly pursuing him so that we can extend grace for areas in which we disagree I'm bringing this all up because the letter of James is really talking about this middle way. How do we put our faith into practice in a world that is increasingly polarized? How do we become reconcilers in this world when even the church oftentimes fails to do that? I think that James sort of maps out a way for us to do this. And so I'd like to take a look at that today, beginning with verse 17 in chapter 1 of James. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of firstfruits of all he created. I'm going to try an experiment here. I want you to shout out the first thing that comes to mind. Okay, when I say, God is good. Thank you, Dennis. I'm like, somebody got it. 
God is good all the time. There was a really great sermon a long time ago where the guy kept saying that, and then he'd say, and all the time, God is good. Can we say that together? God is good. And all the time. Woo, thank you. Don't feel very Anglican right now, do we? No. Mm. <laughs> God doesn't change, and he's good all the time. And we can find security in that. That's how our relationship is secure in God, through the attitude of gratitude. We can look at people that drive us nuts, Eric. And we can recognize that there is something redeemable in that person, something good, lots good, Eric, I'm just teasing, lots good in that person that we can be thankful for. My brother and I, when we were growing up, drove each other crazy. We're very different people. But it's what makes us different now as we're adults that I really love about my brother. Right? He's a great guy. Couldn't see it when he was, you know, giving me a noogie, but... Today, he's a great guy, and I give thanks to God for him. When we look at the world around us, it's changing all the time. You look at, uh, we have this wonderful election coming up this fall. <laughs> right? Nothing changes with elections, right? False promise? No, sorry, okay. No, 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 no. Uh, there's all, but the, if you look at all the promises and all things made, they will shift their talk from location to location, and from time to time, the emphasis will change. Everything changes. One of the complaints I often hear about parties is that they don't look different anymore. They look too similar. But the issues change all the time. What doesn't change is God. Where can we take our refuge? Where can we find peace? It's in the goodness of God, which is everlasting. And when we find ourselves in a position where we are uncomfortable, or we feel like we're under attack, or a troll is after you online. You have the goodness of God to shield and protect you, to be your refuge and your strength. How do we become reconcilers in this world? By being rooted in the gratitude of the goodness of God, so that even when we are under attack, we can give thanks to God that even though they may leave or forsake us. God never will. That's where we begin. That, that solid ground is in the changelessness of God, which is so abundantly good. James goes on to say, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the uprightness that God desires for us. Now I'm going to say something kind of shocking to you, but I never made the basketball team at school. <laughs> never made it as a wrestler either. And hockey can hardly, I can hardly stand up on skates, so hockey was never really an option. One thing I did do was I became a debater in, in university. And one thing that happened pretty quick is that in order for me to debate, I had to really believe that I was smarter than anybody else in the room. And I turned into a jerk. I made fun of people. And I didn't listen to people. I just 
listen enough to tear apart anything they said. And uh, during one debate, I looked after saying something very witty, and I looked at the pain on the person's face when I said it. And I realized, I don't like this version of me. So I tried to, to be a debater without being a jerk, and it turned out I couldn't be. So I stopped debating. So then it was just video games for old Paul. No sports, no debating, no. <laughs> You've all heard the saying, we all have two ears and one mouth for a reason. I could have tried soccer. Where were you to give me that advice when I needed it? <laughs> okay, totally lost. <laughs> God is good all the time. Yeah, sometimes when we are in the ministry of reconciliation, the most we can ever offer a person is to let them know that we heard them, that we cared enough to attend to them. We don't have to agree, but we do need to love. And sometimes that's the most we can do is just say, I hear you, I'm here for you. We live in a world where people are polarizing over so many things. And what happens is that you just lob attacks at people. You don't engage them. As the church, we are to model this. To actually say, what do you mean when you say this? had a conversation with someone this week about how... Um, uh, somebody that they know was, was talking about the mark of the beast and how the vaccine is all connected to the mark of the beast and, and if you don't have the, this, then you can't do commerce and da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. What do you say to that? God is good. God is good. <laughs> Sometimes you can't say a whole lot because they can't hear it, but you can say, I understand you're saying this and maybe ask a gentle question. Or say, you know, this is how I see it, but you earn the right to do that. There's place for debate and there's all kinds of stuff if it's done with humility and openness to others. How do we adopt this kind of humility? By recognizing that we don't have all the answers and that we aren't complete yet. I love this, this beautiful image of saying, you know, don't deceive yourselves, don't fool yourselves. Don't just listen to the word, but do it. And he has this beautiful image of someone going into a mirror and looking and say, oh, I got a bat in the cave. Meh. Or I got spinach in my teeth. Doesn't matter. But the word of God is there not for us to dismiss or to say, oh, that's too hard to understand. I'm not doing it. The word of God is there for us to wrestle with. And when we are convicted, to respond to it. But if we're too proud to say, you know what? I haven't arrived yet. If we're too proud to say, I've got growing to do, then it's useless. The scripture itself says it's, it's more sharper than any double-edged sword. The word of God is a gift for us that points us to Jesus and helps us to grow in Christ's likeness. So we need to be slow to speak, quick to listen to others, quick to listen to the word and instead of making excuses or defenses for ourselves just to say hey 
This is me, warts and all. Jesus loves me because God is good all the time. We are to attend to others and to attend to the word so that we can be uh, grown and matured in Jesus. So we begin with gratitude in the, in the surety of God's goodness, his eternal goodness. We engage the ministry of reconciliation by listening because nobody really comes to faith, I don't think, when you call them a rotten sinner and shout at them. I don't think that works. But showing and demonstrating that they are loved by God, I think that's transformative. So there's that personal connection with God, then there's the, the ministry of reconciliation with those in the church, but then there's those outside as well. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts is pure and faultless. It is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. I was in a bookstore this week and I saw a book with the title that said, How to Raise Successful Kids. What's wrong, Isaac? I didn't buy it. Okay. <laughs> a flag went up right away. What do you mean successful? Do you mean wealthy? Do you mean popular? Do you mean influential? Because I don't care about those things. But if you mean successful as compassionate, faith-filled, people wanting to make the world a better place. I'm all about that kind of success. But I don't think that's how our world defines success. And I'm worried about that part. I guess I should have read the book and not judged the book by its cover. <laughs> True religion is not about being right all the time. It's about being faithful to the one who calls us. And part of that faithfulness is, is to... Um, put values that are uh, oftentimes opposed to the world's values in place so that we can care for those who are marginalized, who are forgotten. And the true religion that is to look after not just orphans and not just widows, but those who are vulnerable, those who are forgotten, to reflect the love of Jesus into dark places. That's what we're called to be. That's what we're called to do. Our society is polarized. Are we going to reflect that or are we going to reflect the middle way which is Jesus in the center where we don't have to agree on 100% of everything but we, can, um, but we can simply model what it means to walk in love together extending grace for areas in which we're wrong or we're broken or we need healing. That's it. That's our calling here and now and as we do that the reign of God is extended. Can we pray together?